0: Hello, this is Jim Wallace, and you're listening to The Soul of the Nation, a podcast about how our faith should shape our politics and not the other way around. This week on Soul of the Nation, we continue our series on white Christian nationalism by welcoming Andrew Whitehead, one of the foremost scholars of the movement in the United
1: States. You know, the real key is understanding that our social institutions here in the U.S. and political institutions as well, these are things that we all have to do what we can in building up and protecting. Um, They don't just exist indefinitely. And so if we're not a part of trying to educate folks or participate in or ensure equal access to the democratic process, there's no guarantee that democracy will in any shape or form continue in the U.S.
0: Andrew is the lead author of Taking America Back for God, Christian nationalism in the United States, and a sociologist at Indiana University, Purdue University in Indianapolis. Whitehead's research on Christian nationalism has been featured across several national outlets, including the New York Times, NPR, the New Yorker, and the Washington Post. Andrew, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Andrew, how is your spirit these days in the midst of all this?
1: Yeah, that's, it's a good question. Um, I think, you know, right now, to be really honest, um, it's it's been difficult. Um, and I think it's kind of a a personal, um, kind of localized um, part of, of my journey right now, but then also the the national part, too, just being a part of these conversations, and um, and so, you know, right now my spirit is is rather heavy, um, and the reason for that is um, I have three kids, and two um, have special needs. And our oldest, we've just been walking through some new um, physical ailments and new diagnoses, and we're still in the midst of it. And so it's been it's been really difficult, to be honest. Um, but I think you know what that pairs with as we look. To kind of the broader context um, that we're going to talk about with my research today, with Christian nationalism, um, American Christianity, uh, democracy in the U.S., all of these things, um, you know, my it, my heart's heavy there as well. Um, and you know, in my own personal journey uh, of faith, as I look back, one of the one of the things that really opened my eyes to. Christian nationalism and American Christianity uh, and some of what we're facing is my experiences with our kids with disabilities and how a triumphalistic um, faith of always winning, <laughs> it just didn't make sense to me anymore as I was near to their, to their to what they're working through and going through. And so, I just didn't have the tools growing up within um, white Christianity to make sense of... Of suffering and marginalization and isolation that I only experienced in my relationship to them um, and their struggles. And so, yeah, it's been an ongoing journey, and we're right in the middle of kind of a really (laughs) difficult time, to be honest, um, emotionally and spiritually and mentally, and all those things. And then, two, with our research and and what we see happening around us with Christian nationalism at at the midterm elections we just had and and ongoing, you know, all these things are intertwined within me. And, and so that is the honest answer with, with how my spirit is right now. (laughs) So I don't know if you bargained for all that, but, but yeah, that's where I'm at.
0: I really appreciate your being personal and candid and vulnerable in sharing that. And those of us who have kids um, can, can relate to that. And in fact, I think, your research here and what we're going to discuss today is crucial for the future of all of our kids. I think it's helpful here at the outset to define for listeners exactly what we're talking about when we say white Christian nationalism, how would you define it? What is it? And what is it not?
1: Yeah, that, that is such an important question. Um, and so when, when we're looking at Christian nationalism, Uh, We define it, and this is through a lot of empirical research as well, um, that we've come to this definition, that it's a cultural framework that idealizes and advocates for a fusion of a very particular expression of Christianity um, with American civic life. And so Christian nationalism believes this um, particular expression of Christianity, which again... Um, is is rather ethnocentric, and so that's why a lot of times we talk about white Christian nationalism, which I'll explain in just a second. But it believes this version of Christianity should be the the principal and undisputed framework for uh, the U.S. and and the government should should work to preserve that cultural framework. And so beyond any theological or religious beliefs. Christian nationalism contains additional cultural elements. And so the first is a very strong sense of moral traditionalism uh, that is really focused on creating and sustaining social hierarchies. So it has a clear vision of who is at the top of society with access to social goods and and the broad spectrum of, of rights and responsibilities and And oftentimes these revolve around gender and sexuality. Uh, The second element is a comfort with authoritarian social control. So Christian nationalism, part of this narrative is seeing the world as a chaotic place. And at times society needs strong rules and strong rulers who, through the threat of violence or through violence, will maintain order. And then the final element is a desire for strict boundaries around national identity, so who we are as a country, civic participation, so who gets to participate, and and social belonging. And these fall along ethno-racial lines. So when we're talking about a Christian nation, what's really being said is this idea of a nation that was built by and for white, natural-born citizens, um, and generally men um, at the top with everyone else coming after.
0: Well, that's very clarifying that this isn't a a theology, but rather uh, a cultural framework, a uh, political vision based on social hierarchies that are racial, gender, and sexuality. And you found, uh, using a scale, uh, four main orientations, which I found very interesting: toward Christian nationalism, rejectors, resistors, accommodators, or ambassadors. I want our listeners to to hear. What each of those represent, if you could unpack that for us, how you define each category and say a bit about how many Americans roughly fit into each of these four groups.
1: Yeah, so when we ask these different questions and combine them into this scale, um, if, if somebody strongly disagrees uh, with, with each question um, or disagrees with, with each question, they are you know most likely to end up in the rejector category. And so it's really as it sounds. These are Americans that reject this idea that the U.S. is founded as a Christian nation, um, that it has a special place in God's plan for the world, um, that they you know reject the idea that the federal government should um, declare the U.S. a Christian nation. Uh, those types of things. And then we have re- resistors who uh, are. At the very least, um, you know, they disagree with questions, these types of questions, or they're somewhat undecided, but they lean towards, again, this resistance where we, we interviewed some folks where they were uh, practicing Christians, uh, but they were just very uneasy with this idea that Christianity should in some way play a central role in American civic life or, or you know, should, you know, be the, the main prayer at the Friday football game. These types of things made them uncomfortable. Um and so, yeah, they they were resisting, but but some of them still thought, you know, well, Christianity was important in the U.S. and in its history, and so maybe there's a place for it. But for the most part, they're resistant to anything that would uh, lift Christianity above others, other religions, um, and other citizens practicing different religions or none at all. And then we have accommodators, and and these are the folks that are essentially a mirror image of resistors. And accommodators are essentially that group just above the middle of the scale. Um, and then on upward to the to the top quarter of the scale. And accommodators are our largest group. They tend to be about a third of the American population. Um, right now, resistors and rejectors are about a quarter each. Um, and so accommodators are our largest group. Uh, and they, again, are a mirror image of resistors where uh, they generally are uh, supportive of Christianity in the public sphere, believe that it is a force for good, um, that they really stop short of any, um, you know, unquestioned support that Christianity should be the sole religion um, that is really guiding American policies or beliefs, but they they generally believe yeah it should play an important role and has historically and um, generally is a good thing, um, and so their support is is there, but it isn't necessarily comprehensive of seeing Christianity at the top. And then we have um, who we call ambassadors, and ambassadors are uh, slowly shrinking part of the population um, over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, Right now, they're around probably 15, 16 percent of the population, um, which is obviously a minority, but a pretty substantial one um, when we look at the size of the adult population in the U.S. Um, But ambassadors are those that wholeheartedly embrace this idea that Christianity as a part of our national heritage um, should be a part of our uh, national understanding going forward. It should be the um, religion that guides the moral and uh, cultural frameworks of the U.S. and, and civic identity. Um, and so they really strongly believe that this country is a, a Christian country, that it, that is God's plan. Um, but what we find over and over is that when they're saying that, uh, really what what's being said underneath is, again, that moral traditionalism, um, authoritarian social control and strict ethno-racial boundaries. That's what the narrative and the words around, you know, this is a Christian nation. What it's really signaling is is that this is a country for people like us, which generally means religiously, politically conservative, white, natural born citizens. Um, and so that's where we find
0: uh, our research takes us as we look at these four mm-hmm. groups. Who are the rejectors, and how do they differ from the resistors?
1: So rejectors, um, you know, in our book, we kind of highlight different demographic, um, socio demographics of each group, which is pretty interesting. Um, and, and what we find is that rejectors, they tend to be younger than all the other groups, um, even younger than resistors. Um, they tend to be, uh, generally highly educated, um, live in urban areas. Um, and they, uh, the majority of rejectors are not religious, um, not Christian, but there are um, people of faith uh, that identify as rejectors, um, and a small number um, are are Christians. And even when we look at um, white Christians or white evangelicals specifically, if we combine rejectors and resistors together, that's about twenty percent of white evangelicals resist or reject white Christian nationalism. And so again, a minority of that group, but it still exists. Um, and so rejectors tend to be less religious overall, but there are religious folks in there. And, and resistors, they tend to be a little less um, uh, well-educated, uh, more likely to live uh, in different you know, suburban areas um, than rejectors did. Um, tend to be just slightly older, but resistors are still younger than ambassadors and accommodators. And so um, tend to be politically moderate whereas rejectors tend to be a little more uh, politically progressive or identify with the Democratic Party. Um, and we see actually within resistors and accommodators, those two groups, we see a lot of variation politically uh, and religiously. And so Christian nationalism really does cut across political lines. Um, and it really explains the most when we're looking at those folks in the middle who might be politically independent or moderate um, or who are religious. Um yeah, it, it really shows and, and kind of explains how their right. behaviors will
0: play out. So some people might feel encouraged when they hear you say the ambassadors, the most uh, uh, strident group, uh, is shrinking. But they're, they have the loudest voices, I would think, uh, nonetheless, <laughs> yeah. and they're certainly very powerful in like Republican primary elections. So yeah. they're loud and they're forceful and they're impactful, even though they're as you say, a relative minority.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, Jim. And and this is something too, that uh, we recently wrote um, for the Washington Post, where we kind of answer this question, is Christian nationalism growing more prevalent? And the honest answer is no and yes. <laughs> so the, the no is what I pointed out, where if we look at particular indicators of Christian nationalism, there are fewer Americans that are strongly embracing those. Um, it's small and it's, you know, working slowly. It isn't as though people are walking away a whole whole cloth, but but we do see it shrinking a little bit by bit. Um, And so, you know, there's a number of things that could be going on here where perhaps politically moderate Americans are kind of walking away from this rhetoric uh, due to its consistent use by those on the right, but especially Trump and his political supporters. Um, But despite this decline, what you point out, um, we wholeheartedly agree with and, and research is bearing this out. Is that even though there might be fewer Americans uh, slowly who strongly embrace Christian nationalism, um, we find that uh, older white Americans tend to support Christian nationalism at the highest levels, and they tend to be the most politically active. So, those that get out and vote and, and really have no real hurdles to voting tend to be you know white older Americans, um, and and two in primary elections um, they're the ones that are most likely to be involved and in, and. In, basically choose the candidates that make it to the general election. Um, And then there's a really fascinating recent experiment where when respondents um, were told about how uh, the numbers of Christians in America are declining, they tended to respond with uh, a stronger embrace of Christian nationalism and Trump support. And we know that, you know, white Christianity in the U S is shrinking. Um, And, but what it does is it creates for this group, this feeling of embattled, where we're a small group, we can see the culture, you know, the narrative is they feel a culture moving away from them. It's no longer the unquestioned center of the culture. And so even though their numbers might be shrinking, the the salience of Christian nationalism to them as they look around them is growing and and they're very involved. And so the impact of Christian nationalism on our political and social life, I think is growing, even though uh, we might see some evidence of of that group getting a little bit smaller year by year.
0: One of the things I often say is that movements have to distinguish between who can be convinced and who must be defeated. So looking at your categories here, who's the group that can be convinced and who must be defeated?
1: Yeah, I think you know when I look at those groups, the accommodators, I think are persuadable. Um, And so I kind of see it as if we can move Someone wherever they're at, if we can move them one stage to the left, right, <laughs> then that would be good. If we're looking at rejectors on the left, resistors, accommodators, ambassadors as we move to the right, um, and so I think accommodators uh, can be persuaded. Where as we talk to these folks, um, we see over and over that they really do um, have a broad support for the you know religious liberty and freedom, the rights of other people to hold differing religious views, whether it's no religious views or all, or a different religion. Um, While they believe that Christianity is, um, some of them believe, you know, Christianity is the answer. um, They don't want to see it drown out, you know, these other groups. And so I think accommodators are those that are open to once we can share some of this information of really how dangerous it is when we hear somebody saying, you know, the U.S. should be a Christian nation. um, It sounds good, but what are the implications of that? And what do we see is associated with those views? And I think those folks are open to being persuaded where when we see that, well, this really does mean that, um, you know, it, it is more likely to embrace um, racist views towards Black Americans, uh, Asian Americans, uh, Hispanic Americans. It's more likely um, to believe that, you know, men lead and women should stay in the home. Um, more likely to believe that, you um, you know, we should roll back um, any civil protections for um, gender or sexual minorities in in the U.S. Um, you know, all these things that for most folks, they would think, well, you know, I believe Christianity is important, but, um, you know, I, I don't want to take away <laughs> rights or I don't want to ensure that there's, um, you know, racist policing practices. And, but once they're able to see that, I think they can be persuaded. But then I think for accommodate or ambassadors, a lot of them really are um yeah, true believers where I don't know that there's really any empirical evidence that will um you know make a difference. And in many ways they see, you know, myself or Sam Perry, who I work with a lot or others, the, you know, anything we say is is instantly um, you know, just the, as they would call us, the, the, the left coming after them. And so for those groups, it's it's basically just trying to limit the influence they have on the democratic process and and access to civil society uh, in in any way we can.
0: So let's get to politics because certain groups perhaps are not persuadable. They have to be defeated. And we just had these midterm elections in which several notable white Christian nationalists, including the Republican nominee for governor of Pennsylvania, were on the ballot. There were a lot of election deniers on the ballot and they lost pretty overwhelmingly How do you think white Christian nationalism did as a whole in the midterms?
1: You know, the real key is understanding that our social institutions here in the U.S. and political institutions as well, these are things that we all have to do what we can in building up and protecting. Um, They don't just exist indefinitely. And so if we're not a part of trying to educate folks or participate in or ensure equal access to the democratic process, there's no guarantee that democracy will in any shape or form continue in the U.S. I think we really have to understand that, yeah, the the war is, as you might call it, is, is ongoing. And that's just a reality of social life. These social institutions will cease to exist when we no longer do what is necessary to, to build them up and protect them. And I think that's really important because as we look at these midterms, there was some cause for um, relief where we did see some really far right embracing of Christian nationalism those folks lose, like Mastriano or, or Carrie Lake in Arizona, these people that were election deniers from the beginning. And that, I think, is really important. Um, others who have embraced Christian nationalist rhetoric, like Ron DeSantis in Florida, you know, he won in a landslide. And so I don't think that there's really any reason to expect that Christian nationalism will in some way move away or it's been defeated. It's been with us since before the the dawn of the U.S. and is going to be a part of, of the people here and this people groups, you know, into the future. And so there really isn't any cause for saying that this is now gone, but that we have to really be a part of protecting and upholding equal access to the democratic process however we can and wherever we can, because there are, are groups that embrace this, you know, political theology that are working to limit Who can vote? Who can have a say? Um, And I think that is the quickest way for them to ensure that, even though they're a minority, that they will have a majority of of the hands on the levers of power in the
0: U.S. One of the things that you and your co-writer Sam Perry note, I think, very importantly, is that white Christian nationalism, like what you say here, is not really a religious movement. In some ways, it is even anti-religious in the sense that people who go to church and pray and read the Bible sometimes hold Use on immigration, gun control, other issues that are starkly different from the white Christian nationalism. Can you unpack for us how white Christian nationalism uses some of the symbols and even rituals of Christianity, but is not per se religious? So, as we talk about Christian nationalism, um,
1: it really is uh, dependent on essentially white Christian institutions throughout our nation's history that really created and perpetuated this cultural framework. And so they are saying, well, to be a Christian, you have to vote this way. You have to see it this way. There is no other way. And that I think is where the power of Christian nationalism lies, where again, it takes these political and cultural views, legitimizes it um, in the will of the sacred, that this is what God has always wanted. Um, and so for folks who have been hearing that or growing up in these different congregations, I know I you know, grew up in a part of the country where that was just how it was, how we saw it. Um, then uh, you want, you're, you're not going to question it and you do see it as God's will. And so you'll, you'll go to the voting booth and you'll do what you need to do to support that. And so I think that's what is so powerful about it and, and where it takes careful work to um, distinguish between um, what Christianity is and can be um, from what we see it now. And I think that's where folks on the margins of society who have been marginalized by society, they're able to give us a clear view of, of what Christianity can and should look like than those that have really been at the center um, and near the, the throne of power in that sense. Um, because I think it distorts, um, it distorts a lot of the teachings of, of the Christian faith. And so that's where I think it takes, like the work that obviously you're involved in and others, of, of helping to distinguish between um, how to be Christian in, in the world um, and what does that mean?
0: Well, picking up on that, uh, some, some of our friends, my friends on the left, often argue the way to defeat white Christian nationalism is to erect a strict wall between church and state and get religion completely out of politics. Or some would say, let's get rid of this religion whole thing. Let's get people out of religion. Uh, The answer is secularism. Let's go secular, where where I think the answer to bad religion is better religion or authentic faith, not less religion. So instead of going secular, I want to actually lean into faith to defeat this,
1: Yeah, I think that's an ongoing uh, open question that I, I've seen in, uh, in and around, you know, the people that I talk with too, where, yeah, the question really does become how can Americans um, be faithful in their religious beliefs or none, um, but then also be able to work together, which I think hopefully we can agree on, we want um, a common flourishing, a common good. And so whether... You know, your vision of the common good comes from religious faith or or not. Um, can we all agree on the values of democracy and and those types of things to ensure that everybody is able to to live and, and work and flourish? And so I think, you know, I, I identify as a person of faith. And I think really for me, what that means is I want to learn as much as I can from those outside the tradition I grew up in. Um, to where I'm looking at, um, you know, the the black church in the U.S. And so, you know, I frequently quote uh, Jamar Disby, but, you know, he's really great about saying, hey, we need to widen the aperture of of what Christianity is in the U.S. It isn't just white conservative Christianity, but there's been, you know, the black church faith tradition that has always been about the flourishing of all, you know, in, in working for their own Rights and equal rights, which really they have only enjoyed for a generation here in the U.S. Um, you know, they're able to show us how you can be faithfully Christian um, and working for the good of all, and not just for your own group. And so, those are things that I want to continue to learn from. And I think, in that sense, I you know, I agree where um, there are expressions of Christianity that move us away from white Christian nationalism, and I would hope to encourage people to move in that direction. And that's some of my. My ongoing work and forthcoming work um, is trying to do that.
0: Let's talk about race here, racism. Is, it's so crucial and central to all of this. How do non-whites think about Christian nationalism?
1: Yeah, no, what we see over and over is is when these same questions, um, as they're read and interpreted by black Americans, it leads them to a dramatically different place than white Americans. So um, when, when they see or, or think about, you know, should uh, the government, Uh, advocate Christian values or is the success of the U S part of God's plan for black Americans. As they see those, if they agree with those, we find over and over that it makes them um, much more likely to seek, um, not only racial justice, but um, to to want to ensure a, a flourishing of of all groups, whether it's immigrants or or otherwise, um, and so it makes them much more what we might you know say pro social in their views. Whereas for white Americans, it tends to make them more likely to draw strict boundaries around who actually gets to participate in U.S. civic life. Um, and so, for white Americans, you know this idea of a Christian nation really does lead to this nostalgia for a time again that that didn't exist or at least was might have been fine for them, but was much worse for other groups. Um, but for Black Americans, and, and you know, we we kind of draw this line um, like you from Frederick Douglass to Martin Luther King Jr. to Reverend William Barber today, where when they're talking about um, the U.S. as a, a, a nation, a Christian nation or a nation of Christians, really trying to call it to account um, and saying that if it's going to be Christian, it should not try to trample um, on these people and on these groups and that it should have equality and justice for all. If that was truly animating our, our founding, um, then why does it look the way that it looks right now? And so I think that really is at the crux of it where, um, yeah, that can be a part of this national discussion and discourse. Um, but is it leading to, you know, freedom and flourishing for everyone or, uh, just for certain groups for just, you know, your group or our group. And if it's leading to those walls, um, uh, keeping people out or at bay, I think that's where we really can start to distinguish between, um, an expression of Christianity that is, um, gospel centered or, or white Christian nationalism.
0: I think we have to name it, uh, truly that white Christian nationalism is not a religious movement, but it is a racial movement. How can white Christian nationalism best be defeated religiously, (laughs) given uh, uh, the false religion that it really uh, represents? I I had a very encouraging conversation I'll share here with uh, Walter Kim, who's the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, Asian American, not a white Christian. And here's what he said. He said, we have to realign Christians out of white Christian nationalism. We have to teach them that we're to to be the light of the world as opposed to white Christian nationalism. How do we defeat this? Let me call it a heresy. White Christian nationalism is really a heresy. And America's original sin, which I call it the foundation of this country, the old ideology is now being reinvigorated or undergirded by this old heresy uh, that you described so well. How do we defeat that? How do we defeat it, do you think?
1: I think it's a really complicated um, question, too, because while it includes changing hearts and minds, which is very important, um, too, we know you know social science shows us that um, social institutions and organizations will continue to function as they have been, even if the people that make them up might see the world differently. So in that sense, um, we want to ensure and, and try and change hearts and minds, but we also have to think about our social institutions and how they function and changing laws and ensuring equal rights at that social and societal level um, because uh, the inequalities that were built into the system are going to stay there. And so I think that's going to take organization and effort across a number of groups and across social institutions. Um, and so I think that's a really important part to be realistic about the time that takes and and, and honestly the effort and um, investment that would take. Um, but then I think too, you know, as Kind of highlighting the importance of that um, that sociological and social um, aspect of this, as we look at individual Christians, I think you know as I look at my own journey, um, it was folks just being faithful in their relationship with me to essentially poke holes kind of in the veil, you know, so that I could start to see cracks and and journeying with me on that. It isn't something that will just fall away um, all at once, but um, is, is a part of that journey. And so I think as we interact with folks around us and, and we think of, and we're living in, in difficult times with misinformation and conspiratorial thinking, um, it, it's within those relationships, trusted relationships, where we're able to, if we're able to draw folks out and ask, well, why do you think that? Or where do you hear that? Or what does that mean to you? Um, And then being able to share perhaps um, how they might see it differently or raise issues with that. I think in those terms, that's um, where we're able to start to um, hopefully bring folks along. But again, doing just that um, will leave in place a lot of the the functioning kind of superstructure of our society that will um, continue to harm marginalized communities. And
0: so, yeah, learning and listening to the those on the margins, I think, is key. For more Soul of the Nation updates, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and follow me on Twitter at Jim Wallace if you like. Blessings for the soul of the nation. Thank you all.